I'm going to go off script a little bit this morning and tell you today is perhaps my favorite day that I've ever worshipped the Lord Jesus. That's a big statement. Uh, this week, uh, I got a phone call that one of the people who've been attending our church was contemplating following Christ in baptism. This person connected to our church in a unique way. On August 15th last year, as the last flights were leaving in a hurry out of Afghanistan, uh, this person was on one of those last flights. Uh, they were relocated to Lexington, and through refugee ministries, they were connected to our congregation. Uh, one of our ladies uh, just began to love on this lady. Uh, she had to leave her family, her world behind, uh, because she was in danger. Uh, the lady who started connecting her realized that she was seeking something. And so she started connecting her to our church and connecting her to the Word of God. She is a precious soul, uh, but she needed Christ like everyone needs Christ. And she heard the gospel through friends and neighbors and many churches who were starting to share the gospel. And in her broken English, she was starting to express that she wanted to follow Christ. On Monday night... She had a dream that Jesus showed up and told her to follow me. Immediately, uh, the people who've been loving on her shared with her the, some materials from one of our college ministries uh, that was in her native language, Dari. And then they showed her the Jesus video in her native language so she could watch the story of Jesus. And then last night, we, she wanted to be baptized. And she said, uh, uh, I want to be baptized. And we don't know, because of broken language, how much she understands of the gospel and what it was going to cost uh, to, to follow Jesus. And so we prayed about having a meeting together with her. But God provided, in another set of miracles, a missionary couple who have been home from uh, a, a country that speaks Dari, that are in Lexington, who said they would be glad to meet with us. And so last night, we uh, got to share for like three hours in what felt like the book of Acts, talking about the gospel of Jesus. And when, when the missionary couple came in at first, they weren't sure that she would be ready for baptism because there's so many gaps in knowledge and understanding. And they had worked for 20 years in this area and only saw about 20 baptisms but after meeting with her, he pointed and said, she is ready. She is ready. And today at our 8.30 service for security purposes, uh, we baptized her at our 8.30 service. It's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. I, I ask you to pray that this and the many other gospel stories that will happen among Afghan refugees are the start of God doing a great work in Afghanistan where people will come to faith. Pray for her family. They are in danger. Her son was uh, abused by the Taliban just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but pray that her son, her family, the Taliban, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who, who is the one who leads us to put down 
our, our, our swords and, and our contention and to follow him and live in the love of Christ. Uh, it was an exciting day this morning. I'm looking forward uh, to sharing the word with you. Uh, speaking of one of the greatest days, I want to tell you about somebody Jesus said was the greatest person that had ever lived. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes this statement that just triggers all of my senses. He says, I tell you, there's nobody born among women who is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that gets my mind racing. It's an amazing statement. And I begin to wonder, why would Jesus say this about John? I know most of you know some of the stories about John the Baptist's life. But if I were to ask you what significance does he play in the story of Jesus, and I was to ask you what relevance did he have in your life as a follower of Christ, or if I was to ask you what could you even learn from the life of John that would apply to your life, what would you say? Truthfully, a lot of people who've gone to church for years would be stumped. So we're going to spend the next few weeks studying the life and ministry of John the Baptist, and, and I hope we can answer some of these questions after this series. There is no doubt the early church thought that this statement was true. Uh, of all of the characters in the Bible, there is no other character except maybe Moses and Jesus, whose birth, whose life, and whose death are detailed. You, you learn about how John the Baptist was born. You learn about uh, uh, the details of that. You see instances of his life. You read about his death. Only Jesus has this. But what's interesting to me is not the fact that they include John's birth, life, and death. It's interesting to me that all of the gospel writers who began to talk about Jesus and his life, three of four of them begin their story with John the Baptist. This is where they start with the story of, of John. Uh, there's no doubt that he was influential as Jesus walked the earth. Uh, he had mass appeal, uh, which is strange because he ministered in a place that was barren. In fact, all of the Gospels say that he was in a deserted place where he ministered, and yet people flocked to him to hear his message. They listened as he condemned the social problems they, they heard him talk about God in a way that seemed real. And, and John had several converts. In fact, uh, some suggest that he baptized 300,000 people in two years. I mean, that, that's a lot of folks. Takes a lot of water. It's amazing the River Jordan lasted. I mean, 300,000 people. And some of his disciples took his message throughout the world. In Acts chapter 18 and 19, Paul's on his missionary journeys, and he meets this man named Apollos, who was from Alexandria, who had learned about John there. And then in Acts chapter 19, he meets some other converts who are from Ephesus, or excuse me, some other people who are from Ephesus. And all they know is John's message. John was more influential than we give him credit for in the first century. Uh, he was, he was widely acclaimed. Uh, and truthfully, he's not just a Christian prophet. Uh, both Islam and Christianity uh, consider John a prophet. Uh, uh, he's one of the 25 prophets of, of Islam. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the key passages of his life. But today, I just want us to take an overview of the man and to learn about his message. Uh, kind of like me... 
Zachariah was a surprise child. Uh, I'm several years younger than my two sisters, and I was a surprise to my mom and dad. Uh, but uh, Zachariah was a real surprise because his parents were barren and old. Uh, excuse me, John was a real surprise to Zachariah. Uh, his parents were, were, were old. Uh, but an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, don't be afraid. Sound familiar? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And, and he says that you're going to call his name John. Uh, and, and Zachariah does th just that. Uh, he, he is told by the angel that John would be a great man. And joy would come from him and, and people far and wide would rejoice at his birth. And then it says that he would be great in the sight of the Lord and he would never drink wine or beer, but instead he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. This seems to indicate that John had taken a Nazarite vow. In the Old Testament, if a person wanted to be holy and set apart from the, for the Lord, they would take this vow that they would abstain from some of the worldly pleasures and that they would not try to draw attention to themselves and, and that they would uh, uh, live in very simplistic ways and they would do all of this just to show people that they wanted to know that God's in control of my life. Apparently, John lived by this challenge and this explains some of his unique characteristics. The Bible tells us that John's dress was unique, to say the least. Here's something a lot of people know about John. What did John wear? Maybe not a lot of people know about John. What did John wear? Camel fur, camel hair. Yeah, he, he wore camel hair with a leather belt. You know, this was not what all the cool kids were wearing, okay? The camel hair was something that only the poor would wear, and the belt was the one thing in Judaism where people would try to distinguish themselves. They would wear an ornate belt so everybody would say, oh, look at his belt, you know, maybe a Texas belt buckle or something like that. Uh, but, but John was simple. He just wore a leather strap. Uh, he, his diet was also unique. Not only did he wear this garment uh, and this belt around his waist, uh, but he ate unusual things. You remember his diet locust and not what i'm having for lunch right he uh, he 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 ate locust and wild honey only the most destitute would eat locust that that's it unless unless you were poor you would never choose this he also had a unique home uh he he lived in the desert all four gospels say that he came from the desert not only did he come from the wilderness or come from the desert, but the word of God came to him while he was in the desert and in the wilderness. So I hope you're getting the picture. John was an ascetic who lived in the wilderness, clothed in camel ha uh, hair, subsisting on locust and wild honey. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I come across characters, my mind starts trying to envision them. You know, do you ever do that? You know, I mean, I, I'm thinking about this guy being some kind of unkept homeless person meeting Fred Flintstone. You know, that's what I see when I see John the Baptist. It's just, you know, it's just not what I would envision. He was unique. He wasn't mainstream. And on top of that, he was a preacher. He was a great preacher. Even godless King Herod liked to listen to him. Mark 6.20 says, Herod feared John and he threw him into prison and he protected him 
because he knew he was a righteous and a holy man. And when Herod heard him, when he would preach, maybe before he was in prison and after he was in prison, he would be confused, but yet he liked to listen to him. There was just something about him that was, was uh, uh, attracting Herod. He was a great preacher, but he was confrontational. His style was kind of in your face. You know, the, he, he, he would tell you the truth and he would tell you the hard truth anytime, anywhere, to anyone. John wasn't a man pleaser. One time a group of religious people came up to see him and, and here's what John said. He sees this crowd coming up and preachers like crowds. I'm, you know, I'll guarantee you. But he sees this crowd coming up and John the Baptist says these words. He sees the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, and here was his pre-baptismal speech. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? That's not how you win friends and influence people, right? He wasn't worried about what people thought about him. He spoke the word of God. He spoke the truth. And honestly, speaking the truth is what's going to get him killed. But he was faithful. His message was clear. Uh, John the Baptist preached repentance and the need for forgiveness of sin. Uh, Mark chapter 1 again, verse 4, says that John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. One of the questions that people have, and if I were you sitting here today, one of the questions I would have is what in the world made people go out and listen to this guy? Why did they go listen to him? It wasn't a fashion show. It wasn't simply his oratory skills. Listen, you can go hear better speakers somewhere all the time. And if you go hear a great speaker, sooner or later, if all you do is listen to them speak, you'll get tired of them too. Why did people flock to him by the tens of thousands? I believe the reason was he spoke about the forgiveness of sins. He spoke about what every person needs, true forgiveness. We all need it, and most of us know we need it. I hope you hear this morning from John the Baptist and from the man standing in front of you at this chosen hour. You you can be forgiven. You, You need to be forgiven. You can be right with God. You can have your burden lifted, and you can have your guilt removed. But John's method of how your guilt was removed was a little different. He preached repentance. Uh, He he preached uh, forgiveness, which was this sending away and letting go and pardon what we all need. But he said, if you're going to get rid of this guilt that you carry, if you're going to get rid of this stuff that weighs you down, it's only going to happen if a metanoia, if a change of mind happens. You see, religious people said change your actions. If you become religious, go to the temple, if you clean your hands the right way, if you observe the holidays at the right times. Jewish people said that's how you are going to be changed and forgiven. And John said, no, it's not going to happen like that at all. It's going to happen if something happens in your heart. If you're going to be forgiven, it has to happen through a change of mind about your sin. It's not good to think that you're the most important person in the world. That's a sin. It's a sin to ignore the needs of others. It's a sin to okay uh, to think it's okay to, to lie, to get out of trouble. 
It's not okay to think that you're the center of the universe. You have to change your mind about that stuff. And John said, now's the time to change your mind. And he called on people to be baptized to signify repentance. Verse 4 of Mark 1 again says that John came baptizing in the wilderness. And he came proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, it's clear from Scripture that John baptized by putting people in water. Uh, he even says as much. He says in Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water. We're going to talk next week about water baptism. And so if you're from different traditions, next week's a great week to be here. We'll talk about the tradition of baptism, and we'll talk about Jesus' baptism next week. Uh, but, but John is clear, I baptize you with water, and that's why he got his nickname, John the Dunker, or John the Baptizer. We're going to talk about this, but, but one thing's clear about baptism from both John and Jesus. It is, and it always has been, about obedience and the heart, not about religious ritual. Baptism occurred because the heart had been stirred and repentance led to action. Please don't confuse John's baptism as teaching some works-based righteousness. John had witnessed the religious establishment leading people to do more things and try more things and work harder. Listen to me closely here. I guarantee you, John would not have instituted another religious ritual to be right with God because he had seen them fail over and over and over. His baptism was not about the water. His baptism was about the heart. He taught that true conversion was internal, and that's what led to, to transformation. The people who were baptized look at him in Luke chapter 3, and they say, what should we do? Listen, if, if you're not asking what you should do based on your relationship with Christ, there is something missing. Christ should be pushing you to the point where it is changing how you live. And the people ask him, what do we need to do? God is stirring in our hearts. We got baptized. What do we do? And he turns to them and says, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Our faith should make us generous. People who follow Christ don't take advantage of others. Tax collectors came to him to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what should we do? And John, foreshadowing Jesus' teaching, says, Don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Do your job, but that's it. Don't take advantage. He goes on to talk to the soldiers who came to him. In verse 14, some soldiers also questioned him and said, what should we do? And he said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Instead, be satisfied with your wages. All of that's important, but John's main message was not baptism. And John's main message was not even repentance. John's main job, his main message was that a Messiah was coming. That there was a Messiah who would arrive. It had been almost 400 years since the last prophet of Israel spoke of a leader from God who would bring salvation to the people of Israel. Now in John, people's hopes were renewed. I, I mean, think about that. You show up for Sunday for 400 years and no word shows up. And now all of a sudden, a word's showing up about the Messiah again, and they're excited. And so Luke tells us in chapter 3, verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. Maybe, maybe he's it. 
It got so bad one time John stood up and said, listen guys, I'm not it. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. But he pointed to the one who was. In fact, John says, I'm not even in Messiah League. He said, I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He wasn't even good enough to be a slave in the Messiah's house because John knew what we didn't yet. John knew that he was from God, but John knew that Jesus was God. John knew the impact of sin on a heart, but he also knew that there was someone coming who could change a heart. John knew that he baptized with water, but somebody was coming who was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. John spoke of forgiveness, but he knew that a Lamb of God was coming who would bring forgiveness. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at moments in the life of John where he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, but that's why John came. In every gospel, every gospel, there's a quotation from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, these words are shared. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight way for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This passage foreshadowed a day when God would send a Messiah where he would rescue his people and reveal his glory and the people longed for this. When God would start to make things right and in this prophecy we're told that there was going to be one sign that the Messiah was about there. Someone would come who would prepare the way. Somebody would come who would make straight the way of the Lord. The imagery is preparing a roadway or clearing obstacles. Uh, if a king was going to make a journey, a, a, an emissary would go before him, and if the road had potholes, he would fill them in, and if there were rough places, he would smooth them out, and along the way, he would announce, a great king is coming, a great king is coming. And now, all of a sudden, in John the Baptist, we have someone coming out and saying, repentance in the heart is where it's at, and a king is coming. And that king, we know, is Christ. This is his ministry to prepare the way, to prepare the way for the Lord and to know us coming, let us know that Jesus is coming. If I were sitting in your seat today and I heard this message, I would say, oh, that's kind of neat about John the Baptist, but what in the world does this have to do with my life? That would be the question I have because you showed up today to church and you're hoping to hear a word from the Lord just like they were hoping to hear a word from the Lord. What in the world does this have to do with me? Let me give you some applications this morning. Number one, God uses the unlikely among us to accomplish his purpose. This is how God has worked. He takes the ordinary and the weak, the unlikely, the uneducated, and he accomplishes his purpose through them. And I think we all have to admit here, none of us work like that. That's not how we think. We look for the star to sell our product. We need the talented to lead our group. 
We get enamored with exterior looks. Even churches do this. You know, they, I, I used to be a regional consultant and I would work with pulpit committees and I would have to warn them, don't get caught up in the photo. You get the young guy with the perfect family and he's 34 and they're good looking and he, 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 the photo is what gets it. I know that's how y'all made your decision to get a pastor <laughs> to lead music. Uh, but uh, I don't know where y'all were going with that. But, uh, but be careful. We get so enamored with externals and God looks at the heart. He's used people to accomplish his purposes that nobody would pick. He used a stutterer to lead people through the Red Sea. He used a persecutor to preach to the Gentiles. He called a young shepherd to be his king. And he called a camel, hair-wearing, crazy preaching desert dweller to prepare the way for the Lord. That's just the way God works. There's two lessons that I want you to get. Number one, God can use you. When the devil whispers in your ear, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you're not experienced enough, you're too broken, you, you have made too many mistakes. When the devil whispers that to you, I want you to remember that God can use the most unlikely candidates to do whatever he chooses. He's the sovereign God. But I also want you to remember that can, God can use the person that you think he can't. This week, somebody sent me an article about Lane Kiffin. How many of y'all know who Lane Kiffin is? Okay, uh, let me educate you. Lane Kiffin is the coach of the University of Ole Miss, the Ole Miss University. Oh, wait, wait, wait. All right, all right. We have one person we need to pray for. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he, he is the coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. I want to tell you, my entire life of knowing Lane Kiffin, I have despised him. He was a womanizer at every place that he has ever coached. Uh, he, he was arrogant. He did no wrong. His ego was bigger than Texas. And so when my church members sent me an article about Lane Kiffin, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to read this or not. But apparently Lane Kiffin has given his life to Christ. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. It was talking about how he's spending Saturday nights instead of chasing women, he's being a good dad to his teenage girl. It talks about how he was going to church on Sundays uh, uh, out in a country church with the pastor Fish. I don't know who that guy is, but that's where he's going to church. It talked about how he was getting up at 6 in the morning. Lane Kiffin didn't know there was a 6 in the morning. But now he's getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he's leading Bible studies with, he's leading Bible studies with his players right now. I hope that that is a real awesome thing, and I tell you what, he made me start to like him. I'm rooting against him like crazy when Ole Miss plays UK, uh, and I hope he fails big time that day. But I, I like him. I do. And it reminds me that God can change anyone. If you were to put the list of coaches in the United States who are most likely to follow Christ, from one to how many ever thousands there are, Lane would have been at the bottom. 
but God can do anything. Don't give up on people. Lesson number two. We all need external help to fix our internal problems. Mankind has always looked for self-help. We seek to better ourselves constantly, and those, I get, that's fine. Did, did you know this? In 2013, there were 32,000 self-help books. That's a bunch. In 2022, there are now over 100,000 volumes written for self-help. You know what that tells me? People know they need help. And it also tells me they're looking in the wrong place. Oh, sure, we can read a book that might help us lose 10 pounds if we try really hard. And we can read a book that might help us write a better term paper if we need that help. But you can't read a book that will help you fix your soul unless you read the book that's given by God that exposes our sin and tells us about a solution that there is a God who will save us, who has come to deliver us, and he will deliver every person who comes to him in faith. That's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know why John was calling people to repentance? Judaism wasn't working. People still felt like they needed help. They tried for a little while, and then they were just back in the same thing. John knew that they needed a new heart. And I want you to hear John's solution, repentance and baptism wasn't the solution. The solution was Jesus, the Lamb of God, who comes and takes away the sin of the world. That was the solution. And John was just pointing to him coming and pointing the way. When Jesus' death is applied to your guilt, forgiveness is found, and you get a new heart. We talked about that in Ezekiel a few weeks ago, that God would give you a heart of flesh. It comes through the work of Christ. Number three, application, quickly. Don't confuse the messenger with the Messiah. We live in a hero culture. We all have our favorite preachers. I have mine. My wife has hers. We were talking about this the other day. You can imagine how I felt when she said it was not me. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> but sometimes, we can start to idolize and seek to help or seek help in the one delivering the message instead of the message they're delivering. College students who are here today, man, y'all make this place a better place. We're glad y'all are here. But I want you to understand, when you're listening to other preachers and teachers and podcasters and authors, remember, they're not the Christ. They're not the Christ. There is a Messiah. He's recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he is the only one who can change your heart. Every other man has feet of clay and will fail. And John's not no exception. We're going to look at that down the road. But I want to take you to one more passage and we're going to close today. Remember how I said all the Gospels start with John the Baptist and that's a little weird. Matthew starts with genealogies and the birth of Jesus but then immediately goes to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. The rest of the Gospels start with his birth or his ministry. That's the way they work. It's weird when you read John. 
these are my favorite words in like all of the scripture. John chapter 1 is amazing. If you haven't read John chapter 1 in a long time and you're looking for quiet time material, read it tonight. Read it all the way through. Amazing. John chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's what we think about Jesus. He was God, is God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Scripture teaches in verse 3. Help me out there if you would, verse 3. Help me out there, verse 3. There you go. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. I mean, think about that. We say that Jesus is not only the one who hung on the cross for our sins, he was the one who was with the Father in all eternity, who spoke this world into existence. Verse 4 tells us that, (laughs) sorry, now it's working again. It has its own mind. Verse 4. Okay. Get this. In this one who created all the universe, who came to earth, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. You need this light to come on. You need it. Then verse 5. Verse 5. I'll let you do it, Chris. Thank you. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then all of a sudden, we're reading this, and I don't know if you're like me. When I read this stuff in my quiet time and when my clicker's not broke, it takes me into really special places when I read this. And then all of a sudden, it hits us with verse 6, which says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I'm like, huh. That's like anticlimactic, isn't it? There's this man sent from God whose name was John. And listen to what it says in verse 7. He came to be a witness to testify about the light. I testify about a lot of things, but the lights being on are usually not one of them. Hey, did you see our lights? We go outside, and hey, did you see that big orange thing up there? Have you ever seen anything like that? You know why you testify about the light? If people are blind and they don't see it. People were blind, and they couldn't see the hope, and they couldn't see the light, and they couldn't see the help. And so he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And then listen to what it says. In verse 8, he tells us that he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. We're going to study John the Baptist for four more weeks, but he's not the light. He was the greatest born among uh, women, but do you remember what the end of that verse says? But the least born in the kingdom of God is going to be greater than him. He came to testify about the light, and then I love verse 9. It says in verse 9, the true light gives light to everyone. He's going to explain it's everyone who believes, but everyone who will receive him, he gives the power to become the sons and daughters of God. You know, we can't be like John the Baptist and prepare the way for the Lord. There was one person who stood between the law and grace. One person who was the intertestamental man, John the Baptist. But we can all do what John the Baptist did by pointing people to Jesus. Like John, we can tell people about Christ and we can witness of him. And I pray that we will. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Lord, thank you for how you showed up. Lord, I'm amazed at how you connect dots and you providentially put people together and you draw hearts and you can bring beauty from ashes and the hardest things in life can be places where we can see you at work. 
And God, I thank you, Lord, for the souls that have been saved. I thank you, Lord, for those who are now proclaiming the gospel in, in their own tongue to their own people. God, I pray that you would be with those who are here today and help them to help them, Lord, to, to testify of your goodness and of the grace that's found in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.